Well, you know, I, uh, I've been walking for a long time. Um, I don't think I was an early walker as a child, but I learned it eventually. Um, but I never knew walking was such a thing. During COVID, at the height of COVID, my wife had me walking once, twice a day. And in the midst of COVID, Gretchen had me walking up to 11 miles every day. And I learned, I know, right? We don't do that anymore. But I learned a lot about walking. For example, did you know that according to Wikipedia, there's 25 different ways to walk? And it's got to be true because Wikipedia says, but here's just a few. Faltering, floundering, lumbering, lurching. You can parade, prowl, skulk, stagger, stalk, and waddle, and that's just a few. But beyond Wikipedia, there's also, according to Brandon Klein, a blogger for City Scene, there's six styles of walking. There's brisk walking, which is defined by at least 100 steps per minute. You know you're brisk walking if right about the first couple minutes you start feeling breathless, you know you're brisk walking. Power walking, that's harder than brisk walking. Power walking uh, is quicker than brisk walking with intentional arm swinging at a quick pace. I believe that is what Gretchen had me doing (laughs) during COVID. Then, of course, there's race walking. This is a step above power walking. It's actually an Olympic event. Did you know that? Race walking. You always have to have one foot on the ground, and it helps if you drop your hips, (laughs) according to Brandon Klein. There is chi walking, walking to where you practice tai chi in the midst of it, so you can do martial arts movements in the midst of your walking. That's supposed to be good for you. There's marathon walking, 26 miles. That, yeah, the Petra, me too. And then lastly, you have Nordic walking. That's a mix of walking and cross-country skiing where you get to walk with actual sticks in your hand. And just in case you're like, okay, Brian, we've heard enough about walking. Oh, no, there's more. According to the Las Vegas Sun, you can actually tell something about someone's personality based on how they walk. Here's some types of walk that uh, you have the worrier, The worry is the person who actually walks looking at every step they're taking to make sure that they're not going to trip on something, step on one of those baby rattlesnakes that we have around town. Worriers are, uh, their personality, they tend to be introverted and thoughtful. You have the chiller. The chiller are those people who walk too slowly, just about everyone. Anyone ever get behind a chiller? And they just tend to go through life and they have this loose body movement. The chillers are known to be calm and intuitive. You have the showboat, chest out, shoulders back, arms swinging. These are the people that intend to just draw attention to themselves. They swing their arms in an exaggerated manner in order to attract attention. These are typically individuals who are self-absorbed and unreliable. You have the politician. Politician, these are people that walk with their head up and they're trying to make eye contact with everyone they come in contact with. These are someone that always says hi to that person on the trail, on the walk. These are people that are known to be personable and trustworthy. Lastly, you have the executive. Someone who walks with a quick and focused stride in their step. 
These are people who are known to be driven, but also can come across as unapproachable. If you do, I encourage you, one of these days where you have nothing better to do, Google walking and look at all the instruction given to you on how to walk more effectively. But here's what I don't think you'll find. See, the Apostle Paul also has three steps, three ways that are important for you to walk. If you claim to be a Christian, if you are someone who is a disciple of Christ, if you are someone who has embraced and accepted his gift of salvation, Paul says there are three ways that you should be walking. And I'd love to share those with you. If you have your Bible, you can join me in the book of Ephesians chapter 5. If you're visiting with us today, uh, we've been in Ephesians for a while, and let me just, while you're turning there, let me catch you up on the context. The three first, the first three chapters of Ephesians, Paul's been focusing on convincing us of who we are, what our identity is in Christ Jesus, and he called us saints. If you're a Christian, if you're someone who's received the gift of salvation, you are a saint, Someone who has been set apart from culture. Someone who has been introduced and given the power of God in order to be a reflection of his glory in this darkened world. You are a saint. And in the first three chapters, Paul wanted to make sure you understand that you didn't achieve that on your own. You didn't buy it. You didn't earn it. You didn't somehow deserve that role. No, it's given to you by God's grace In his love for you, he plucked you out of the darkness of this world, gave you his forgiveness, filled you with his spirit, and put you on a different path to be a reflection of his glory. That was the first three chapters. But in chapter four, his focus begins to shift. It shifts away from telling you who you are, and it begins to move into telling you how you should live, how you should walk, how you should live your life as someone who has an identity in Christ Jesus. That began in uh, chapter 4, and now we find ourselves in chapter 5. Let's begin this way. Chapter 5, starting in verse 1. Again, we're going to see this word three times in this section, but it begins, therefore. If you remember, even when you see that word, therefore, old pastors used to always say, if you see therefore, look before it to make sure you know what it's there for. Right? So after Paul is saying, this is everything that Christ has done in your life, he says, because of everything God has done for you, he says, therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. Walk in love just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant, fragrant aroma. He says, therefore, first, first way that you should be walking, walk as imitators of God. A term imitator, by the way, just so you know, comes from the Greek word mimetes, which is where we get our word uh, mimic from, our English word mimic. The Apostle Paul tells Christians back then and today to mimic the mannerisms of Jesus in your life. Mimic his characteristics. Mimic his passions. Mimic his purposes. You need to be mimicking God as you live your life. It's as if when you live your life, you live your life as if God is living it instead of you. I was thinking about different qualities and characteristics of God. He's forgiving. He's patient. He's generous. Slow to wrath. Quick to forgive. 
But Paul has two specific characteristics in mind. He says, if you want to know how you're supposed to live your life, how you're supposed to walk as a saint, a believer of God, he says, number one, imitate God. Mimic him in every aspect of your life. And there's two characteristics. The first one he gives in verse two, he says, walk in love just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us. Walk in love, that term love, by the way, It's the Greek word agape, which describes the committed communal love. It describes the way God loves you and the way we're supposed to love one another. And we go over this every now and then, every time we come up with the word agape. But it's been a little bit. So put your thumb in Ephesians and flip over to the left to the book. It says 2 Corinthians. It's supposed to be 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians 13. 1 Corinthians 13. Let me share this with you, define love for you. I'll always remember this because Gretchen engraved this passage on the inside of my wedding ring. When I was thinner, I could get it off and remember the passage. Now I can't, so that's why it says 2 Corinthians. <laughs> 1 Corinthians chapter 13, starting in verse 4. Look at what this says. Look how it defines God's love for you. And your love for one another. Love is patient. Love is kind. It is not jealous. It does not brag and is not arrogant. It does not act unbecomingly. It does not seek its own. It is not provoked. It does not take into account a wrong suffered. It does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. Apostle Paul says, listen, you need to, if you want to mimic God in your life, if you want to be walking through as an identity of Christ, if you want to live in a way that the glory of God shines through your life in a darkened culture, man, if you're going to do anything, live with love. The way God has loved you, the way you're supposed to love others, patient, kind. It's not jealous, doesn't brag. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things, and love never fails. Let me share with you something the Apostle John wrote in 1 John 4, 7. John said this to the early Christians. He said, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. I mean, a key characteristic component of a Christian life as we're walking through our day-to-day existence needs to be this characteristic of love. So my question, how is your love life? Is this something that you're known for? Is it a characteristic that you foster in your life? Because Paul is saying, man, if you want to live a life as an identity of a Christian... Love others, just as Christ loved you and gave himself up for you. But there's a second component. If you want to mimic God in your day-to-day life, not only walk in love, but it needs to involve sacrifice. Look what he says. Walk in love, just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. The term offering, it's used to describe the action of bringing a gift to someone 
It's a gift to recognize, it's a recognizing that someone is greater than you and you bring them a gift. That's offering. Sacrifice is the mode of offering. Sacrifice is the mode is how you give this gift. And in this essence, in the Old Testament, they would burn it. And then as the essence of that sacrifice floated up to heaven, God would receive it. When it says, give your life as an offering and a sacrifice, as a fragment, fragrant aroma, saying, give your life as a gift to God, recognizing that he's greater than you. It's sacrificial. It's complete. There's no turning back from this. You don't get to waffle. You don't get to straddle that fence. You're all in. And you live your life allowing God to just use it as a fragrant aroma of his presence, his glory. If you want a great example, the Apostle Paul tells another church to use Jesus as an example. Put your thumb in Ephesians. If your Bible's like mine, it's just one page to the right, Philippians chapter 2. It's the very next book, Philippians chapter 2. Look at what Paul says to them. It says, have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. He emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, being made in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. For this reason also, God highly exalted him, bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that... At the name of Jesus, every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Paul says, you want a great example of someone who lived sacrificially? Look no further than Jesus Christ who existed in heaven but humbled himself, submitted himself to God the Father, took on the form of his own creation so that he can die, not just any death, death on the cross, the most horrific form of death known to man at that time. He endured crucifixion in confidence that when it's all said and done, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess, whether in humility or rebellion, but make no mistake, everyone will recognize who Jesus is at the end of time. The Apostle Paul says, he's looking, he's talking. Remember, this is to the church of Ephesus. This is a good church who loves Jesus. This is one of the greatest church of their era. But he's writing to them saying, listen, we can get complacent. As Christians, you can just get busy doing the quote-unquote Christian life and you don't really know how you're walking. If you want to see the glory of God transform culture, If you truly want to see kooky California different, it's not done just through the ballot box. It's done through your life. Mimic. Imitate God. If you want to know, Brian, how do I walk as a Christian in kooky California? First and foremost, walk as an imitator of God. Live your life as if God is living it right by your side. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? See, our, in our 10-mile radius, it's about 45% of people in our 10-mile radius, the entire population, 
claim to be born-again Christians. Can you imagine if 45% of our culture actually lived life the way Jesus would live life? Can you imagine when Christians came alongside someone who was sick that we actually cared? If we were quick to forgive, slow to judge, if we emanated grace and mercy and compassion, can you imagine if 45% of our community mimicked Jesus Christ as they lived their life? What an impact that would have. Paul says, number one, you want to see kooky California changed. You want to know how to walk as someone who claims Jesus Christ, be imitators of God. Then he goes into verse 3. He wants to make sure if he tells you how to walk, he's going to tell you how not to walk. Here's what imitators of God doesn't look like, just in case you need to know. Put on love, be sacrificial, but, big biblical but right there, but immorality, any impurity, greed, must not even be named among you, as is proper among saints. There would be no filthiness, silly talk, coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. For this you know with certainty, that no immoral or impure person or covetous man who is an idolater has an inheritance in the kingdom of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Listen, folks, we need to live a life that reflects who God is. Quit claiming Jesus on Sunday and living like the world Monday through Saturday. Plus, it can't happen. You want to see kooky California change. You want to know how to reflect Christ in your daily life. Walk as an imitator of God. Between the walls of your home and outside the walls of your home. But Paul's not done. He continues. Number one, he says, walk as imitators of God. But number two, he said, walk as children of light. Look at verse seven. Here's our next therefore. We know we're into the other type of walking. Because he says, therefore, we're back to that key word. Because of everything God did for you, don't just walk as imitators of God. Therefore, Do not be partakers with them, those people who were of the world. For you were formerly darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of the light consists in all goodness and righteousness and truth, trying to learn what is pleasing pleasing to the Lord. So therefore, he says, children of light, that term children, offspring, That term light is used 72 times in the New Testament, I want you to know. And almost every time it's used to describe the powerful work, the sacrificial work, the gospel work of God in Jesus Christ. In fact, look how it's seen here in John chapter 1. John chapter 1 says, look how it describes the ministry of Jesus. In him was life, and life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. There was the true light, which coming into the world enlightens every man. Talking about the ministry of Jesus, describes it as light and darkness. That's the same term that the Apostle Paul uses for you. You want to know how important your role is? The very ministry of Jesus, the way it's described, is the same way that your life is described in Scripture. I mean, you are here to be light in the darkness. You want to, re- by the way, let me remind you, darkness is how Paul described culture last week. You remember that? A term darkness, let's go back, Ephesians chapter 4, 
Just the chapter before, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17 and 19, look how he describes culture. He says, walk no longer just as the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind, being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that's in them, because of the hardness of their heart, and they having become callous have given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. Paul says, you want to know what's wrong with culture? It's the darkness. And by the way, remember we talked last week, that term darkness, it's in the passive, meaning that someone else is doing it to them. The term darkness means they're blinded, their vision is obscured, they're unable to see truth because of something that is blinding them. And we went in last week, in terms of who that is, that's Satan. Satan, the dominion of this world. You want to know what's wrong with culture? Satan has blinded them. Their eyes are obscure from seeing truth. And Jesus came into a dark world. To open people's eyes to the glory and truth of God. And now you live in a dark world. And you know what your purpose is? To open people's eyes to the truth and glory of God. That's what Paul says. Therefore, don't be partakers with them. You are formerly darkness. You are formerly blinded. You are formerly lost and unable to see truth. But now you're light in the Lord. God has made you children and offspring of his light. So what do we do? Look at verse 11. So as a result, do not participate in the unfruitful deeds of darkness, but instead expose them. For it's disgraceful even to speak of things which are done by them in secret. But all things become visible when they are exposed by the light. For everything that becomes visible is light. The Apostle Paul says, you want to know how to live as children of light? He says, expose unfruitful deeds. Unfruitful deeds described a futile way that people who are blinded live their life. Unfruitful deeds, they do silly things to reach unnecessary goals. They have silly methods to reach unnecessary goals. Man, the world, they're just lost. They're spinning It says, you don't do that, you expose them. And let me go through that term expose, by the way. It means to admonish, to show fault, or explain error. But that term expose adds an element of the heart. See, it doesn't mean, uh, that term expose, it doesn't describe someone who who, uh, is, sorry, it is used to describe someone who positively helps those who are blinded by Satan to see the light of Christ. It doesn't mean to punish It doesn't mean to discipline. It doesn't mean to legislate. It doesn't mean to criticize. It means to come alongside someone who is blinded and lead them along the way. Paul says, live as children of light. You're not darkness. You're not blinded. Stop living that way. Instead, you are offspring of the light of glory. You're offspring of the light of Christ. Walk alongside the blind, those who have been blinded by Satan, those who can't see the truth, expose them, help them to realize, help them to notice. But don't judge them, don't discipline them, don't legislate them. Man, that's not the plan. Walk as children of light, exposing them, open their eyes to the glory of God that you see that they don't. 
Man, do you get this image? Man, this heart. Paul's saying, man, if you want to change the world, if you want to see kooky California changed, if you claim who Jesus is, walk this way. Walk as an imitator of God. Walk as children of light in a dark world. Don't smack them over the head with truth. Gently expose them. Open their eyes. Allow them to see the glory of God as you do. Paul says they don't see it. They're not your enemy. Satan's your enemy. And Satan has been allowed to blind people, but you have been empowered to expose them, to open their eyes and allow them to see the glory of God. Paul says, you want to actually see change. You want to know what an identity of Christ looks like, how to walk. Walk as imitators of God. Walk as children of light. Here's the third. Walk as wise Christians. Look how he says it. Verse 15, there's that third therefore. We know this is the third characteristic, the third way for our walking because Paul uses that therefore. Because of the work of Christ, he says, be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise. A term, be careful, phrase means to watch with precision and make sure you're seeing your life and your purpose accurately. As if it's possible to be a Christian and show up on Sunday and claim Jesus and sing about his glory, but as soon as you go home, you forget all about it and you live your life for yourself and not for God. Paul says, be careful, be focused, keep watching your steps lest you get off path. Be careful how you walk. And look at the options, not as unwise men, but as wise. That term unwise is used to describe someone who is foolish or unskilled. It describes someone who's not, who lives life so recklessly, they're not only a danger to themselves, but a danger to people around them. Me with power tools, unwise. I'm a danger to myself and I'm a danger to anyone around me. Paul says, listen, when you're walking as a Christian... Be mindful, be careful how you walk. Not as foolish and reckless. You're not only a danger to yourself, but a danger to those around you. Instead, live with wisdom. Why? Someone who is skilled and expert in life. Someone who not only navigates the world accurately, but blesses and impacts those who are around them. Paul says, be careful how you walk. Keep your focus Lest you get distracted, don't live your life recklessly where you just take everyone down around you instead of walk as wise men. Well, how do you do that? What does walking as a wise Christian look like? Glad you asked. Let's keep going. Verse 16, first way, making the most of your time because the days are evil. You want to know how to walk as a wise Christian? First, be intentional. Be intentional. That phrase, make the most of your time, it actually means buy back what's lost. Redeem what's broken. Man, the intentionality of your life every day shouldn't be about building your life. It's buying back everything that's been stolen from God. Everything that has been corrupted by sin. Everything that has been infiltrated by pain. Go through your life buying all of that back. Make the most of your time. Be intentional and focused 
on redeeming everything that's broken and bringing it back because the days are evil. Verse 17, so then do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. You know what the will of the Lord is, right? We went over that a number of times in Ephesians. Bill's like, I don't know what the will of God is. Here's the most important part of the will of God. To bring all of creation back into submission through Jesus Christ. That's the will of God. Paul says, live your life intentionally about redeeming everything that's been stolen from him. Live your life redeeming everything that has been broken back into relationship with God. That's what our life should be about. Paul says, be intentional. You want to know how to walk as a wise Christian? Not recklessly tearing everyone down, but in wisdom, skillful, navigating life in a way that's not only successful for you, but brings everyone else up along with you. He says, number one, be intentional. Be about redeeming broken things. Back to life with God. Verse 18, here's another one. Paul says, and here it is. Do not get drunk with wine, with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord. I know this is not going to be a popular truth for some. Paul says, listen, if you, if you want to know how to walk in a way that reflects who Jesus is, if you truly want to see kooky California changed, stop getting drunk. Guys, just stop. That doesn't mean you can't have a glass of wine with your dinner. Stop getting drunk. Why? Why, Brian? Why is that such a big deal? Look at what it says. For that is dissipation. That term, that term dissipation means recklessness that leads to even more recklessness. That's dissipation. Man, you get drunk, it's restless. And that's the best case scenario. But getting drunk not only leads you to being reckless, but it leads to more recklessness. And Paul says, I get it. Sometimes you want to take the edge off. Sometimes you want to forget the pain. Sometimes you want to numb your struggles. He says, I get it. Sometimes this world gets to be too much and you just want it all to go away. Paul says, stop that. And instead, big biblical butt right there in the middle, instead of using alcohol as a way to avoid everything, instead be filled with the Spirit. Instead of using alcohol and chemicals to numb your pain and empower you to get through the mundane aspects of your life, it says instead use the Spirit, the very breath of God, And that term, being filled with the Spirit, it's describing being so filled with the Spirit that the Holy Spirit actually leads every step of your life. Third way, you want to know how to walk as a wise Christian? Be led. Not by a Christian author. Not a pastor. Not a small group leader. Not a community leader. Not a president. Not a global figure. Who are you led by? The Holy Spirit, who is already at work in your life. Man, my job is not to lead you. My job is to help you understand and hear what the Holy Spirit is wanting to lead in you. 
Don't get drunk. Man, that's just recklessness that leads to more recklessness. Be led by the Holy Spirit. I was asked this week by someone, it's like, how do I know? How do I know if I'm led by the Holy Spirit, right? We've talked about this. Like sometimes I want to do this, but then there's something in my gut that tells me, I don't know, maybe I ought to do that. Like how do I know if that's the pizza from last night or if that's the Holy Spirit? (laughs) Anyone else struggle with that? Man, I don't know what God's wanting me to do. Is that the burrito or is that the Holy Spirit? I'm not sure. Two things I just want to remind you. Number one, the Holy Spirit leading you and guiding you, is it biblical? Man, is what I feel in my stomach, does that imitate Christ in my life? If it does, chances are it's not the burrito. Here's another way that I discern if it's the will of God. I ask good people who love Jesus who know me. I ask good people who know Jesus, who love Jesus and know me. People in my life that I know have wisdom of God. They know his word. But there are also people who will speak truth to my life. They've stood with me in the hard times. So I know they'll be honest. But I also know they love me and they want what's best for me. I mean, you truly want to be led by the Lord, number one. When you're questioning, like, I don't know which way to go. Number one, what's the Bible say? That ought to help you discern. And number two, one or two people in your life, you know they love Jesus. You know they love you. And you know they'll be honest. Hey, I tell you, it's hard to find an honest friend. Anyone else feel that way? We live in a culture where everyone just wants to agree. So our friends, they'd rather just agree with us than be honest with us. Man, find that one or two person. It's just old and crusty enough to tell you the truth no matter what. Man, those friends are golden. Paul says, walk as wisdom. You want to know how to live your life as a reflection of Christ, what that looks like in a kooky culture like ours. Be imitators of God. Walk as children of light. Walk as wise Christians who are intentional, who are led. Look at this next one, verse 20. Always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father. Third, be thankful. I mean, quit grumbling all the time about gas prices, liberal media, inflation, struggles with the public school. Amen. Be thankful. Amen. Where do you see God working? I got to tell you, sometimes it's so easy to notice everything that's wrong that we forget about everything that's right. Look what the Apostle Paul said to Christians in Philippi. Again, another good Christian, another good Christian church. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. We could just stop right there. That's a sermon in and of itself. Everything, Brian, that's what it says. All things. Look it up in the Greek. You know what it's going to say? All things. Do all things without grumbling or disputing so that you will prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent, children of God, above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. And look at this, among whom you appear as light in the world. Man, quit grumbling and complaining about everything. It's easy for me to get caught up in that too. Paul says, you want to know how to walk as a wise Christian? Be thankful. Instead of noticing everything that's wrong with culture, let's start noticing everything that God is doing within culture. What do you have to be thankful for this year?
I know we have Halloween coming up, but the next holiday is Thanksgiving. Start preparing. Looking back on 2023, as you look back, we can list all sorts of things that we didn't like. But maybe we need to go through the exercise. What has God done in 2023 that we love, that we're thankful for? Lastly, again, these aren't, this, this, isn't a, this is another unpopular one. But you want to walk as a wise Christian, be submissive. Look at verse 21. Be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. You want to walk as a wise Christian, be submissive. Arrange yourself behind or yield to the advice and direction of another. You want to walk as a wise Christian. Paul says, submit to one another. And here's the problem with that. See, we take submission as an authoritative term. We take submission as this authoritative term, but really a better understanding of it is a responsibility term. Live your life as if you're responsible for one another. Let me tell you, people think that I'm the authority of this church. I'm not. I'm not. A, Christ is the authority. Then there's the elder board. And I think admin thinks that they're over. It goes Jesus, elder board, admin, then Brian. My wife probably fits somewhere in there as well. I'm not the authority of this church. People come and ask me, do you know what's going on here? Nope, no idea. But I'll tell you what, I am responsible for everything that happens at this church. I don't have the final say in everything. But I am responsible. If you're wounded and hurt here, I'm responsible. If you're not growing in the image of Jesus, I'm responsible. We're going to get into the marriage. We're going to get into parenting. We're going to get into, into working in the next couple of weeks. But as a church... You want to walk as a wise Christian? Be submissive to one another. Be responsible for one another. Look how Paul said it in Romans. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor. Look how he says it in Philippians. Therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any consolation of love, if there is any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection, compassion, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent in one purpose. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Can you imagine if churches actually did that? I hate the worship style. Instead, hey, what worship style do you want? I got to tell you, I'm not always a fan of all the songs. Can I be honest? I'm not a fan of all the songs. I'm not in charge. The purpose of worship isn't to be all about Brian. The purpose of worship is to be all about Jesus. The purpose of our gathering together is not to be about Brian or about you. It's to be about us. Paul says, listen, now that you understand your identity in Christ, everything that God has done in your life 
you need to live different. And maybe you need to learn how to walk all over again. So here's how you walk. Walk as imitators of God. You live your life as if what it would look like if God lived your life. Be imitators of God. Number two, be children of light. You live in a dark world. There's few places darker than this. You're the light of Christ. Live your life in such a way that you come alongside those who are still blinded, who have been deceived, who are lost, who can't see truth. Expose truth to them. Allow them to see God as you do. Patiently. Lovingly. With compassion. Because after all, that's what Jesus did to you and I, isn't it? Third, walk, his, walk in wisdom. Walk as a wise Christian. Be intentional. Be focused. Live every day purposefully. Be led. Be thankful. And be submissive to one another. Give each other a break. Saturday the way that I live Sunday. Fix it. as uh, people. God, we're here. God, many of us are here because we believe in who you are. We know you've created everything out of nothing. That you hold all world powers in the palm of your hand. That you are sovereign in control of all things. God, and nothing happens without your awareness and allowance. But God, we confess It's so easy to get distracted from what you desire from us, God, as we get busy at work and overwhelmed at home and lost in our own greed and our own selfishness and our own fear. So God, we ask that you would convict us and help us to see how we ought to walk. God, help us to be imitators of you. Help us to be filled with the characteristic of love, commitment, 
Help us to be sacrificial with our time, our treasures, and our will. God, we ask that you would help us to live as children of light. God, comfort us. Give us peace that's beyond human comprehension when we run into aspects of culture that freak us out. Remind us that we have been filled with the very breath of God who is already at work within us, who is able to do far more beyond everything that we can ask or even imagine. So God, give us confidence as we live our lives reflecting you. God, lastly, God, help us to be wise as we do it. Help us to be unified. Help us to learn more and more how to be led by your spirit. God, open our eyes. Allow us to see things that we should be thankful for instead of critical of. And God, take away our stubbornness. And allow us to be focused on the needs of others more than ourselves. God, not for our glory, but for yours. Not for our kingdom, but for yours. We pray all these things in Jesus' name.